Okay, so we'll get started. So today we've got uh, some more practice during false questions. Um, we're going to cover the exciting topics of hot breaks, cold breaks, browsing, tips of finding, which aren't exactly well covered within the, the documentation, but it's kind of sort of to answer one of the questions that was, or a couple of the questions that were on the uh, written exam. Um, we're going to do a tasting of astringency, um, or a feeling of astringency. And then we're going to do uh, dark British beers, amber, American brown, um, or browns, American beers, and American porter and stout. So a lot of roasty things today. So we'll get going pretty quick. Don't want to keep you guys here as late as we did last time. Um, so uh, we'll kick off the true and false section. Peter. 61, if rushed, it's acceptable to write only one to two comments on a score sheet as long as the numeric score is filled out. That is false. Yep. And need more comments. Got to hit all the major areas for each of the kind of score sheet categories. Um, 62, if a beer is a gusher or has an unpleasant aroma upon opening, a judge may assign a courtesy score of 13 without tasting and commenting on the characteristics of the beer. That's false. You need to provide some kind of feedback to, uh, to the beer and you have to at least taste it. All beers should be tasted and scored even if they are gushers or have an unpleasant aroma. That's true, yep. Uh, 64, except for create to penalize the entrant if the beer is not served at the proper temperature. That's false. It's obviously not their fault. Um, that's something that, well, let's go to the next question. But I have a question here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of the temperature, you can have a wrong taste, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's why you should, br well, <laughs> that's why you should bring it up to the attention of the, the cellar masters and, or the, oh. the competition or guys. So they may do something like go get the second bottle, put it on ice, and bring it out to you a little chilled so it can be a little more appropriately served. Okay. So hopefully it's one of those... Uh, okay, so in a normal home beer competition, they may bring you out a bucket of beers, and initially they're going to be relatively cold, um, but as it comes later in the competition, they may warm up. If you start to notice that, you may want to say, hey, they're starting to get a little warm, they may drop some ice in there or something like that. So it's one of those got to keep kind of active... If they come out cold, if, sorry, my opinion. If they come out cold, that's fine. You should, you can warm them up with your body temperature. Um, hold, hold your glass for a minute or so, and it'll usually get up to a, um, a cellar temperature, or whatever you need. Be, but be, bring it up. Yeah, be, be a little reasonable about it. You're talking yeah. about a lot of logistics, and you know, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's not, if it's 45 instead of 43 degrees, you know, tough battle that I. I ran the second round at uh, National Homebrew Competition in Bellevue in 2012, and one of the judges' comments that came back on the feedback was, beers were cold, too cold at first, then too warm. And I thought, was not one of them the right goddamn temperature? <laughs> uh, so just work with the, the organized. Not that I'm angry about that comment at all. But. <laughs> um, so just... Yeah, like Mark said, warm it up, talk to the organizers. You know, if it's too cold, they can maybe pull the next flight a little earlier, let it get more ambient. Yeah. Okay, so I'll continue. Uh, 65. <laughs> if the beers are not served at the proper temperature, judges should work with the competition staff to resolve the problem. That is true. That's obvious. Yep. <clears throat> Comment upon the most prominent features of each entry. 
fall, she should come out and everything from intent the strong things down to the, the subtle things. Yep. What? Yeah. Sixty-seven. Judges' comments must not include phrases like "if you used." That's false. That's false. Yep. That's putting it in terms of you're not stating you used, which would be the, the wrong thing to say. Judges' comments must not include phrases like "did you." Well, that's false, also. Yep, that's false as well. Judges' comments must include a complete evaluation of sensory aspects of the entry and how those aspects relate to the style guidelines. That's true. That's literally the definition of judging. Judges' comments should be constructive and reflect knowledge of the ruling fermentation bottling and handling process. True. Yep, that's true. 71. Judges' comments need to provide information on how to improve the entry of warranty. I feel like well, I got a 50-50 chance on this one. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you want to be positive and then try to make sure that they... Um, you, you get something that they're going to be able to make a slightly better beer after reading your comments on. Uh, Scores should not be assigned to the aroma section immediately because the entry's aroma profile may change over time. That's true. It is true. Yeah. yeah. In general, you don't need to assign points as you move through. It's kind of, in my mind, one of those things is best waited to the end. But aroma in particular because you want to See if something else, if it, as it warms up, if it changes and something goes away. It's fruity. Yeah, exactly. Like skunkiness might blow away uh, over the course of a beer, and then you can um, come back and evaluate some things later. Uh, each section must be scored with a number prior to writing any comments to best capture your first impressions. False. Yeah, for exactly the reasons I just said. Um, to assure objectivity, you should never write your full name or put contact information on the score sheet. First thing you're supposed to do, so that's false. Um, and yeah, you're, you're supposed to fill these out as if, well, your your name is on the score sheet. So. You should write your full name and judging rank on each score sheet. That's yep. So in case six, you should always fill out the star scale on the score sheet as group check against your score. Uh, yep, that's true. So the little area of the box is down at the bottom. Yeah, they need to be filled out when you take the exam and when you fill out your score sheets. 77, you should use the overall impression section of the score sheet to refer to how the entry compares to other entries in the flight. That's uh, false. That's false. It, other entries in the flight don't make a difference with regards to the beer that you're t technically tasting and shouldn't affect your score in any way. So not important information at all.
um, today, if you want to, we're going to take out the handout for hot and cold breaks, crozening, um, gypsum, and fining. So these are kind of some um, areas focusing just mainly on um, kind of clarity in your beer and finishing your beer uh, at the end. Um, when they had the original exam, there were two questions that related to this. They, there was um, what is meant by the terms hot break and cold break, uh, what is happening and why are they important in brewing and the quality of your finished beer. And then there was uh, discuss the following brewing techniques, how they affect the beer. Um, so you have crowsening, um, adding gypsum, and fighting. All right. So talk a little about hot break. So as you start boiling your wort, um, or you've got all your wort collected in your kettle, and you start the, the boiling process, um, what, what starts to happen basically is the, the temperatures, and they're working with their dehydrates and protein, so everything is kind of forming into these uh, different, uh, different kind of profiles, but also having a, a chance to meet up and, and have contact with each other. Um, and hot break in particular is going to be an interaction between denatured proteins and then other um, other products in the beer, um, nitrogenous, carbohydrates, polyphenolic constituents like tannins. Um, these, they're going to get together and form these big clumps. They just have an affinity towards each other, electromagnetic, and they um, will form something that will look like um, uh, what you call it, soup, egg drop, egg drop soup. Um, and the, the good thing about these things is it helps as you remove these. These aren't all necessary processes for or necessary things in beer at the end of it. You don't necessarily want to have a ton of tannins in your beer. You don't have too many proteins sitting around. It affects um, your overall uh, mouthfeel. So some of these you want to get to drop out. So they form these big clumps. Um, it's a function of what materials are in the wort. I mean, what basically your malt bill look like, what kind of uh, ingredients we're putting in. Um, it's a function of, once again, the adjuncts. If you put in a bunch of uh, rice or corn, uh, the mashing schedule will affect this because your proteins, if you had a protein rest, it may affect the length and the type of proteins available. Um, how vigorously you boil your wort, uh, your, your wort uh, the more vigorous, the, the kind of the, the nicer initial binding, but then you also might go a little too hard and break up some of those clumps as well. Um, and then kind of pH and, and basically how much other polyphenols are in there because those are the ones that bind up with the proteins. Um, so they become what is going to be part of your trube, which is kind of this little sediment that's going to come out at the end of the boil. Um, and it, a good hot break is going to reduce basically a protein haze um, uh, later in the, in the beer, provide a little bit of clarity or assist the clarification process. Any other comments on no, I mean, you know, especially all grain. Uh, if you're using extract, obviously that's been pre-boiled, so you aren't going to get quite the, uh, the same reactions. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a, a good hearty hot break will look exactly like egg drop soup with yep. these sort of long, uh, more or less tasteless clumps of... Clumps. And sometimes, depending on like the malt that you're using, you can get really big, monstrous, loogie kind of sized ones floating around there. But it's all a function of the, the boiling process and what ingredients you basically you put in there and how it's going to form. Um, so the important thing to remember is it, this happens during the boil, okay, in, in particular, and relatively early it, it, it kicks off. 
Now, cold break, uh, on the other hand, is something that happens after the boil. So you've gone through your boiling process, added in all your hops, um, and uh, got to the point where you're going to cut off the boil and um, start to chill it. Um, so as you start to chill the boil, um, certain other, or basically when you're at a higher temperature, certain things can remain water-soluble easy. And then as you start to chill it, they lose their solubility and start to precipitate. Um, so the cold break starts to uh, form below 60 degrees, which I think is like 140-ish. Um, it's mashing range somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. Um, and basically the faster you do this, the, the more, uh, I guess, the better cold break that you're going to get in there. Um, you care about these particular um, chemicals uh, coming out because uh, they will, they're the ones that lead to something called chill haze. Um, Chill haze is basically going to be this phenomenon where if you get a beer that's served at 30 to 40 degrees, it may come out hazy, but then as it warms up and once again, that whole solubility thing, that haze goes away. Um, doesn't significantly affect the flavor of the beer in any way. It's just kind of a visual um, uh, problem. Um, so cold break, or having a good cold break is going to prevent that. So this is going to be a mainly a protein polyphenol complex. Um, where the, as we were talking about before, the hot break is mainly just going to be proteinaceous. Um, let's see what else. If you've got a highly modified malt, um, you're going to get more polyphenols uh, in there. I'm not entirely sure why that would be, but well, that's going to kind of lead to a little more uh, of those in your culture than the, the less modified. Um, I guess it's because there's, oh, well, sorry, it says, yeah, less, more protein. So, okay, and less polyphenols. Um, so it's, it's going to be a function of how many proteins and polyphenols are basically in the beer for this uh, process about to boil. Um, this is going to account for about 13, or sorry, 15 to 30% of the volume that ends up in your tube, which once again is that kind of layer of protein-ish material that kind of settles out at the end of boiling. Um, this is driven by the malt modification, as we talked about, how you went through your process again, mashing what uh, proteins there are and where it broke down, um, the temperature and the speed at which you're um, dropping the temperature through chilling, and then um, if you're putting in hops, you're going to be adding in more tannin structure um, as well from the or polyphenols, basically, and then I'll add something extra for cold breaks to happen, so if there's a lot of extra proteins in there and there's some more tannins, they're going to work on falling out as well. Um, uh, one of the ways that we help our cold break is at the end of the boil, we add an Irish moss, um, which adds a bunch of the, well, basically a bunch of things to, to bind on and precipitate out. Yeah, it's essentially about getting the particles to stick together into large enough structures that they're heavier than the beer that it's sitting in, so it floats to the bottom and it's, it's out of the finished product. Mm -hmm. So hot breaks will probably affect more of your overall clarity. Um, whereas a cold break is mainly going to be that chill haze that happens um, later. So, any questions? Yeah. Yes. At the uh, beginning, when you start boiling, there's a kind of foam which comes up. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you remove it or do you leave it? I heard different versions. Uh, One people say they have a strainer. And yeah, I'll, I'll skim it off. And um, just to keep people the, say, oh, whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it hurts I either way. I, you're almost kind of pre-reg. A lot of that is going to be some part of kind of your hot break as well. Um, 
I, it's a matter of you're maybe removing some of that a little before it's gonna. Eventually, it's gonna get back into the beer, and then if it's going to settle, settle out, it'll become part yeah, of the. I don't think it's a flavor thing. It's yeah. just a boil over. You know, you're like, eh, ah, there we go. We're good. We're breaking the surface tension. We're pulling some of this crap out, and uh, yeah. So, on a larger scale level, that's pretty much impossible to do. Yeah. Um, so, kind of not one of those standard practices. Um, Alec, you, you just sit there and you spoon it all out, right? Yeah, okay. Um, any other hot break, cold break questions? I mean, so the important thing going back to that is the one's going to lead to maybe potential more of a protein haze if you don't do it well, which is the, the hot break, cold break, chill haze. Um, and, and in general, once again, those having those polyphenols and those extra proteins in there, if they're not something that's added up a positive part of the uh, beer potentially can lead to some staling issues later on in life. Um, just one of those kind of things you want to manage, I guess, well with your, your beers. Okay. Next, we're going to get to those kind of the what are the different brewing techniques and how do they affect the beer. Um, first, we got grousing. You want to talk about sure. So, grousing is a German technique. Um, you know, because they're limited in what they can do in terms of adding additional. Uh, ingredients too, so they can't prime it. They they can only uh, force carbonate with CO two if it's CO two that was captured from the fermentation process. So you can't add this ex- external stuff. So what they do is they'll take a finished beer um, and uh, add uh, some a portion twenty percent or so of uh, actively fermenting beer um, and uh, and bottle or, or keg that so that the remaining fermentables that are in the actively fermenting uh, beer will produce the CO2. Um, uh, in addition, it will also clean up any of the fermentation uh, flaws that we talked about, like acetaldehyde, uh, diacetyl, because you've got this healthy, active yeast jumping in, you know, it's going to grab on onto some of those things. Um, uh, it's a little bit tricky because you've got to really nail the residual sugars, You've got to know what you're doing so that you know that that beer that's uh, that you're adding and capping isn't going to cause overcarbonation, undercarbonation, or, or lead to any other problems. Yeah. So basically, a way to and, and you also have to have a production cycle that sustains this kind of an operation, and where you're actually going to have fresh beer coming in. Yeah. At the point that you actually want to bottle the previous batch. Yeah. Um, but a way to kind of get around some of the Reinhardt's Kibbutz, um, uh legalities and then also keep a nice fresh beer, keep everything going, and help it clean up and uh, keep a nice, typically for them, a lager, nice lager, clean profile. Has um, anyone here ever frozened a beer? Yeah, once again. More often than not, we'll use something like priming sugar or... Um, rely on the residual yeast. Yeah, and rely on just the, the remaining yeast in there, which may or may not be as healthy. Um, but yeah, um, kind of a, a classic German approach. Um, next we have, why, why did we have gypsum? So several weeks back, we were talking about water. Uh, we were talking about things that we may add to um, a water to potentially change the profile. So gypsum is calcium sulfate. Um, so it's going to be, let's break it down into the cation and the anion. We've got the calcium and we've got the sulfate. Um, calcium is that great buffer, basically, for um, bringing down your pH. Um, it's, it'll end up binding with your carbonate and it makes sure everything works into a nice um, area. 
Um, so that's important for keeping a, a mildly acidic um, kind of brewing area. Um, it's also got that little benefit of it binds up oxalate uh, salts, so you kind of prevent some extra that, that extra haze, and uh, the, when those come out of solution, they kind of gush a bit. Um, by dropping the pH again, it helps us prevent uh, the extraction of tannins that can happen when our pH gets over like five or I can't remember what it was, um, or mash pH. Yeah, five, yeah. four. Five, and, and then the uh, beer is getting just a little too thin, tannins come out, gets that extra stringency, we don't want that, so um, gypsum helps once again provide that buffer. Um, and it's also a part of that overall protein coagulation process. It's all about having a, a healthy kind of uh, base water profile for your beer. So that's what the calcium is doing. Um, the sulfite uh, or sulfate, as we talked about before, helps push hops forward, which is why Burden, who had a high sulfate water, tended to end up brewing hoppy beers because it expressed a little nicer. Um, so a little extra sulfite in there creates the, that little extra hop punch. Um, so you'll typically see these, uh, or maybe a little um, gypsum adding in, in your English pails or even some of your other, um, uh, well, like some of your Irish kind of beers as well because the extra calcium is going to help. Uh, much in the, you're, it's going to be a pretty acidic malt in it already as it is, but just kind of add that buffer later. All right, any questions about gypsum? Okay, pretty straightforward. And the, the general topic of fining. All right. Well, it's basically uh, fine, a fining is some sort of a product that's to aid the clarity of the finished product of the beer. It can be a kettle fining, like Mark talked about, the Irish moss being added at the end of the boil to help uh, attract some of those particles and create the, the reactions. Um, or it can be something that's added post-fermentation. Um, and when you start talking about those, you've got... You know, basically two different categories of stuff. You've got negatively charged and positively charged uh, particles um, that can be added to, to the beer. Basically, you put them in in the top, and as they filter down, they attract the, the, the haze-causing particles and settle down to the bottom of the tank, and then you can pull the, the, the finished beer off of. Yeah, the, the overall clarification process is all about increasing particle size to the point of some kind of structure that you want to remove to the point where it's able to fall through the rest of the material and get down and precipitate out, or be like through a centrifuge, once again using that extra weight, kind of be able to push it out and then extract it or have the um, remaining fluid on top uh, move somewhere else and leaving that, that whatever the product is that you're trying to pull away um, behind. So creating larger molecules and then letting gravity kind of do the work from there. Um, let's see, so... Um, Let's the United Kingdom kind of is where a lot of this really worked out with the the, the casts they they put it in like Peter was saying kind of let it uh, fall down the the major agents that we have uh, we've got isinglass which is made from the the membranes of fish bladders or swim bladders I think in particular not the, the other bladders um, which once again creates that kind of that positive kind of force to bind up with um, structure in there. Um, Polyclar, um, which is basically what is polyvinyl PP. PP. Um, uh, plastic. Which is a plastic you can put in that, that uh, can bind up as well. Um, and gelatin, which is just what you think of gelatin kind of just put in. Um, but each of these are going to kind of serve uh, slightly different functions. 
Um, icing glass, uh, the first one we're talking about is the, the classic British one that they would put um, into the casts to, to help clarify. Um, and just put it in a little before you're actually going to cap off the beer, let it do its magic and kind of sort of basically press everything down and form its little pasta or little larger molecules um, and then drop out. Um, let's see. Yeah, once again, inner inner membranes of the bla fish bladders. Um, the yeah, it, it, but a lot of these things is just all about getting up something that's got a positive charge, negative charge, get together, drop it out. Um, this does not work uh, with lager yeast in particular, but it works a little better with the um, the ale yeast, which have kind of a different kind of skin composition that they cell membrane uh, that allows it to, to precipitate out a little easier. Um, Gelatin, a similar kind of uh, attraction technique uh, as icing glass. Once again, it's one of those you kind of get some boiling water, dump that in, whip it around a little bit, and then kind of pour it into the beer. Anyone used icing or gelatin before? Um, yeah, just nice way to get some of those lar uh, large proteins or large uh, molecules to kind of uh, fall out. It's not as strong as icing glass, basically. Uh, it, sometimes it gives a slight, slight. Uh, flavor to it, but um, mostly should be able to precipitate out. Um, the polyclar works in a kind of a slightly different fa fashion. This is aimed at removing more of the, um, the tannins. Okay, basically, so you can either remove, pro a lot of your hazes are going to come from the protein and the tannin structure is getting together. So you can either remove as many proteins as you can, and you can remove as many tannins as you can to prevent that. So polyclar works more on the tannin side of it. Um, to bring that out. So that's one of those good things that works on chill haze. Um, and then as we talked a little before, we've got Irish moss, which well, works on the hot side, um, but then you put it in while it's still boiling, and then it helps your cold break um, before you go through the overall fermentation process. Um, so it's not something that would work on heat stuff. So, um, so any, any questions with finding? Okay. Once again, focusing on trying to um, add some sort of an agent to promote uh, precipitation of some either protein or tannin out um, and prevent uh, any kind of clarity issues that we might encounter. Um, so, um, with that, we'll move to our off flavor and tasting profiles. Um, so, today we've got astringency, so if you want to open up. Uh, to the to your off flavor section. Um, so this is going to be one of the non non flavorish. Though the, the what we're going to end up using may end up adding a bit of flavor to it, and uh, it'll we're using grape tannin, fruits, uh, but it will create a very very pronounced um, uh, overall mouthfeel. Um, so described as basically a sensation that you get on your gums, on your lips. Somewhat on your tongue, um, but the, the largest contour to this is tannins of some sort. So it could either come from any of the, the vegetal things that are going into your beer. So you've got the grains, um, the husks are going to have a high tannin content. So getting into that over-sparging and getting the, the pH out of range for um, preventing tannin extraction, you can end up with a little bit of that tannin there. Or if you just kind of pulverize your um, malt itself, you can just end up with a lot of extra of the husk material that makes it through your um, process and your sparging process into the beer, 
and then it kind of goes through the boil, and then it kind of remains in, and then um, some extra tannin that way. So, yeah, sorry, the pH is 6.0. So if you're, basically, if you're sparging, and your pH of your overall mash is raising up above 6.0, and your temperature simultaneously isn't going in excess of 170, it creates a condition favorable for leaching tannins out of the, um, the husks. So that's a general condition that sparging at a slightly lower temperature, 165, is kind of classic. Um, and maintaining, not over sparging, not trying to get too much out of the beer um, will prevent. Then we've also got uh, stringency that can be added from excess hop material that you can add to the beer. So if you are throwing in a ton of hops or a ton of late hops or dry, dry hopping with a large quantity of hops, you're adding other tannin uh, sources to the beer, so this is another way that we can dial it back, um, trying to make sure that we don't put in too much. <clears throat> there are a few um, polyphenols that can come from spoilage of the product as well, so they call it Cetobacter, wild yeast. Um, you don't see this, uh, I guess, too much. Um, but, okay, as, as Peter <laughs> walks around this, the thing that you'll notice instantly is that it is very, 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 very hazy. And this goes back to what we were just talking about. If you start adding a whole bunch of tannin to a product, it will instantly bind up with almost any protein it can find and add a very rich, milky look to a beer. Um, so typically, it would be maybe some sort of a haze issue as well. Um, and the other source of potential uh, tannins are going to be other things that you put into the beer, like um, if you're going to put in some herbs or if you're going to put in some uh, other spices. Uh, coriander is one that they call out, different orange peel. They've got tannin as well, and it's going to add some sort of a, or could add in, if it's overused, some sort of a structure to the beer. So kind of having those balance out. Um, they will, over time, tend to precipitate out. It's one of those, just give it time, and the molecules will form, and they will fall out of solution, but um, you may see a little more in younger beers. So, thoughts? So this is one to make sure you splash it around all, all over your mouth to get the kind of the, the feeling to your cheeks. And uh, on your gums. Present. Do people feel it? It kind of makes you want to. Afterwards. Yeah, it's quite like a hint of grape. Um, Woody? Yeah. <laughs> Picks up that extra. Note of tannin of some sort. And it's really grabbing. It's really pulling. Yeah, and if you get it, you can feel it in the front of your gums. Um, you still feel a little on the side of your tongue, but your cheeks. Does that taste at all from the tannin? Yeah, there's a slight taste in there oh. within this too. Yeah, you. And this is one thing. We're using grape tannin in particular to create this, so it's going to be a kind of. You won't maybe taste that as much. But while you're tasting this, and if it's due to something like over-sparging, you might get that husky character as well to kind of pair it together. Or if you taste this and it's got a grassy note to it too, it's probably from something like over-dry hopping. Okay. And getting, so you can pick up the, the character and then maybe pick up the secondary flavor 
that may lead you to understand where the stringency in particular is coming from. Uh, everybody's getting tannin? Yeah, thanks, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. I could dump more in. So, so the reason we're covering that today as well is because not only because of the tannins are very important with the proteins, the binding, the, the hazes and all that, um, but as we get into some of these roasted beers, um, you may end up picking a little bit of astringency because you've got a bunch of burnt husks potentially adding character to the beer, and that may kick in a little more um, overall astringency to, to the product. So, Also, uh, use of calcium sulfate kind of drying, you yeah. <laughs> drying effect as well. Yeah, that chalky, well, that's not really a, as much chalky, but yeah, it just kind of gets that, that yeah. drying, greasy sensation. So, but now you said that if the pH is over like to 6, if the pH is lower, even though it's a little bit high with the uh, sparkling water, it's, it's, it's it shouldn't be a problem. It, it's kind of you need to have both. This is the reason why, like when you do the decoction and you're raising it to boiling essentially, and because the pH is still low, it's still down in that fours and fives, um, that or fives, I guess. Um, it's not going to create a, a condition where you're going to extract a lot of tannins. Um, so it's it's when you basically when you've got your pH moving up um, and your temperature moving up at the same time. Um, that's that's when it'll end up happening. So Pete has some bonus faults yes. in here today. So this is uh, caprylic acid. So this is going to be a potential um, infection character you may get. getting as, as you as it goes around. I definitely wanted to go back to your base beer on two. Through the drain. 
and also the, the Siebel book says, you know, oh, it could be uh, yeast breakdown, like, uh, um, but I think that tends to be more of a brothy, meaty, sweet. I think it was like something weird in the fruit, like a. Reminds me of those those uh, wax candies, so like the, the sort of pops. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like a, like a, a lime or an orange. Mm-hmm. But how about like the, the uh, wax lips? Yeah. That <laughs> are somehow fit for human consumption. <laughs> <laughs> There's a slight note of an acetic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of that cherry, high cherry... Almost like a, a pineapple rind. I don't. I don't know what. Over tannin. Yeah, it's that tannin's not going anyplace fast. Maybe you pick up on in a. Yeah. It can be a, comp- a component of a lambic, maybe. Or, or just like, you know, you're like, boy, this beer is off. It's, I'm getting all sorts of, you know, sort of sweet drain age sort of things. And that, you know, is maybe part of it. Not anything you go, that is caprylic acid, my friend. That is what the, uh, the flavor is. Mm-hmm. So if we taste this, like, is that pretty much a good sign to stop? Drinking <laughs> 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 because you're gonna die. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, like, would, would it make you sick or like? No, no. I it, especially in the car. I mean, this is at a relatively highly dosed quantity, quantity and they have promised well, that everything in, in here. Probably shouldn't be drinking this. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I mean, when nothing or very few things. Let's just say that make it through a beer are gonna kill you, and it would really anything that's gonna hurt you in any kind of way is gonna be something. Very, very strange that the brewer added, um, but the, none of the byproducts will ever really make you horribly sick. Nothing that will contaminate the beer? No. No, because it's got the alcohol and the hops, you know, things can live in it, but they aren't going to, there's nothing that can kill you. Yeah. Um, as far as we know. six hours, beers all the same. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this is isovaleric. So, this uh, the isovaleric is what they're going to say is going to be associated with uh, cheesy hops. Um, so, old hops or stuff like that. Oh, God. <laughs> Pop its head up every so often in the competition. Um, I mean, yeah, this, this smells like the my 
large bag of hops that I just keep around aging um, for for lambics, but yeah, but worse than that. But worse. <laughs> um, it's like you're storing them in the YMCA locker room. Yeah. <laughs> How long can you keep the uh, hops in the fridge? I mean, freezer. Well, as I said, you know, they're going to degrade over time. You know, if you keep them, uh, you know, like vacuum sealed, um, you know, and the, the, the freezer isn't going through a defrost cycle, um, you know, they'll, they'll last a, a decent amount. If they're loose packed in the freezer, like one month, you see? Oh no, they can go. Oh no, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, a well, well packed one kept freezing, I mean, could go a year. I mean, it's, it's one of the worst. They're selling, they're still selling like 2013 crop year stuff that's being stored like at Hop Union. Um, you know, but people are buying them because they aren't horrific. They've just lost some of their impact. Um, but again, if, it, if, it's, if you're pulling it out twice uh, twice a month to brew with and it's a bag that's open to the air and Oxygen, you're closing it yeah. back up, you know, it's going to degrade over time. But I mean, basically, it boils down to oxygen is what's going to cause all of your staling processes, and oxygen combined with temperature makes everything happen faster. Um, if you're brewing a lambic, you want to use old hops to boil it for so long, right? Yeah, you, you want to basically use the nice kind of degraded. Yeah. I mean, you're basically only pulling out some of the. the you just want a little bit of acid, right? Yeah. For bacterial purposes, mm -hmm. you don't want any hop character whatsoever. So yeah. basically, I should uh, invest in a kind of little vacuum. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to store them for more than a year, yeah, mm -hmm. I'd say. I mean, I, but I mean, you're talking about time scales of a year or so versus you know a month or, yeah. or a week. Um, no, for a smallish scale home brewer, a, a vacuum bagger is a wise investment if you're going to buy hops on a large quantity and use them for multiple beers. Um, can, you, can you smell this in the hops before you brew the Yeah, cheesy. Yeah. So. Okay. I, I I should I'll try to remember to bring in my bag of cheesy hops, um, and you can kind of get that. But yeah, it's it's when you when you get your hops, you should always smell them beforehand to see, make sure that they have the first of all the aromas. But after a while, you'll just start noticing. And actually, with some of the ones that I brought in last time, they just start getting a little bit lifeless, dull, and they'll have a little cardboard note initially. And then when you get them in the beer, it's kind of where everything starts coming out bad. So, um, so yeah, freshness is key. So this is you provide the recommendation of try to make sure you use nice fresh hops. Um, don't tell them that they didn't, but just use the freshest product. Um, you can always push it back on their their supplier. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely a lot more in the aroma, maybe the the flavor, but still just this kind of nasty-ish. Um, Nope. Any other questions and faults? Right. Hope we don't see as many of those in, <laughs> in here. All right, so um, today for tasting, um, we've got dark British beer, amber, uh, brown American beer, and American porter. So we're going to start with the 19s, um, the amber, uh, brown, and American beer. Alright, 
Seventeen used to be kind of split between the, the American District Ales and then California Common was in the hybrid category. Um, basically, we're looking for um, beers, obviously, of a, the mid-range colors and the embers and the browns. Um, we're going to showcase more American hops. Um, California Common in particular is going to show off uh, uh, the special kind of unique hop to, uh, to California, or that was, I guess, used primarily in their steam beers. Um, and then uh, tying together with a decent malt profile to add some complexity. Um, compared to American Pale Ales, these are going to be less hot forward um, and a little more balanced. Uh, Cal Common will be a, a they'll, they'll basically, you're going to be tying in some a balance of fruit and, and bread and malt as compared to really pushing forward a hoppy kind of character. So, all right, so starting out with um, 19A American Amber Ale, we're having uh, Red Seal, Red Seal, North Coast, North Coast? Yes. people get for the, the hop aroma initially? Maybe a caramel that you drizzle on ice cream, a um, little, little bit melted, a little toasty bread note. It's got a haze to it. Dark golden, light amber. Yeah. This light off-white, kind of coarse bubbled head. Fruits that people are thinking of when they smell this, besides uh, the citrus. There's a little, yeah, there's some stone ish fruit in there. Not really a lot of fruit, it's really just more herbal. Mm -hmm. 
the flavor, I get a pop of tea kind of right out of the gate. Chamomile tea, mm -hmm. all the floral as well. Mm -hmm. That's actually a good example of some astringency you might associate with yeah. a large amount of hops in the gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're feeling the bitterness on your tongue for sure, but then you start to feel it on the upper palate as well. Um, a little woody, a little, it's kind of carrying its way through again. Bread crust. Better for me. Um, yeah, the, the malt's there, but it's yeah. you know just sort of that light caramel it's cracker. It's, yeah, little mm -hmm. sweetness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you finish with that long lingering bitterness, little astringency, and the toasty note to it. as we are with all these that you know, it makes it sound like we hate everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh no, it's perfectly fine to drink. I just, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about it, you're really nitpicking. Uh, you just eat the bananas, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's just what I'm saying. <laughs> so, once again, trying to get a, a decent amount of hops in, but also have some malt, malt backbone to support it. Um, for your recipe, it should be largely an American kind of, or use pale, pale ale malt. Um, and then working in your specialty character malts using your crystal malts. Um, maybe a few other ones like in uh, Victory or light, um, some other lightly toasted malts. Um, and then trying to use some sort of characteristic American hop, something with a little pine resin kind of character to it, um, a little citrus. Um, but once again, trying to walk the line in terms of having a malt balance that pushes the beer. Um, and these are kind of one of the beers that started pushing the, the, the craft out there as being something a little different. Um, a little hoppier than, than normal, but not overly hoppy and... To some extent, I see these falling by the wayside. So, I'll reach for Okay, so um, 
Next on to 19B, California Common. Um, kind of a unique take uh, on, uh, on American Amber, um, but also an kind of an interesting fermentation profile as well. Um, so this is beer style born uh, basically by Anchor Steam, um, where they can a fermentation, uh, or they're using West Coast kind of ingredients. Right, there you go. Um, and in particular, a northern brewer hop, which has a woodsy kind of piney note to it. Um, and then uh, working with some, just uh, toward basically working to get a nice kind of moderate uh, color in there, but then using a unique strain of, of yeast, um, kind of the, the Calcommon yeast, which is a lager yeast, but fermented at warmer temperatures. Um, that's why this was used to be kind of a hybrid um, kind of beer style. So you end up with some interesting fruity notes from it from the mildly off-temperature fermentation profile. So, what do people get initially in the aroma? <coughs> yes. Citrusy hops, it's anything, something just a little woodsy, maybe back there. Are there cloves in your flambe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't like pineapple. Got that mild, slightly wettish bread. color, better clarity than the uh, the red seal. Still just a little haze though. Italy. Mm-hmm. Firm toast for sure. Um, and breathes out a whole bunch of fruit out of here. You breathe it. Sort of a fruit punchy mm-hmm. type of fruit medley. High C. 
Kind of firm bitterness. And I'm still trying to get that. It's there in the in the, the final third. Mm-hmm. Woodsy, um, juniper bow, mostly the bark. Buttered. Buttered bark. Yeah, while, you, while you're still drinking the beer, the fruit, that, like you're saying, the, the fruit punch kind of hangs in there, but as soon as you kind of go to that finish, that's where the wood can really yeah. have a little chance to, to show through. Minus for agency. Sorry? Grainy. Yep. Toast. Yep. Poached grain <coughs> and butter. <laughs> butter poached grain. Northern Brewer hops aren't necessarily one of my favorite, mm-hmm. but <coughs> certainly in general, you know, Eckerstein does a very good job of showcasing here is this sort of woody, herbally <coughs> hop that, you know, you know it's in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the, the diastole in this is really odd. Did everyone's bottle come through with Dacetol or? Is that like the, it's like the buttery top? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, moderate body and moderately, probably high carbonation. But yeah, it's a little off. Um, so like we were saying before, paleo kind of uh, malts, but then adding a little bit of those toasted malts, not too much of a crystal malt. You don't want as much of that caramel flavor in there. You want kind of a, a toasty thing that's supposed to, or that'll kind of blend in with that woodsy thing um, at the end of it. Um, use that special um, calcommon strain to, to get the, the fermentation profile, do a diacetyl rest. Um, two nests for Do one in this. memory. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, just it, really, it boils down to the the style is kind of defined by that yeast character and the hop character uh, pushing through in a American expressive hoppy, um, basically kind of beer. But once again, non citrusy. Uh, we don't have a brown ale. Well, I had my heart set on Breckles Brown. Okay. Um, I'd sort of lost sight of the fact that I could use moustrel. So. Um, so for the American brown style, um, these uh, tend to be more malty than hoppy. Okay, so it doesn't need to be what's getting over the top, kind of punch out a, um, a big hoppy profile. It's usually a little stronger than maybe normal for anything that's going to be British, but um, and you can kind of blend in whatever... Um, Citrus, kind of uh, piney, resinousy kind of character you want to, but um, not go all, all the way over the top. Um, 
keeping it more in the brown uh, area, not really pushing into that American porter um, in terms of the roastiness, just getting some of that toast, some of the, the brighter chocolates. The, uh, um, the adjustment for this, the 2015 guidelines, is they allow it to be more hoppy. Mm-hmm. In the 2008 guidelines, it was, it was strictly mm-hmm. subdued hop. Mm-hmm. So you get these really delicious beers that, that had a strong hot presence yeah. that were just not to the American brown yeah. mm-hmm. style. So, um, so yeah, they're all kinds of, I don't know, in terms of like the old kind of classic ones, the Mooster Rule, not, not too hoppy, but then as you're moving towards maybe. Um, actually, most of those aren't overly hoppy ones. Um, but yeah, it tends to be a little more balanced in, ter- in terms of the malts overall. Okay, uh, what are we going to do next? 20s? 16. Or 16. So we're going to go back to the dark British beers. Um, so a lot of these beers are going to come from areas that are going to have the higher carbonate levels to help balance some of the roast malts um, that are going in. So roast malts are going to add a little extra um, or a little pH and get a little extra carbonate from the water to balance it out. Still enough to work. So starting with sweet stout, right? Yes. Okay. Sweet stout, um, also called cream stouts. Um, core uh, feature that you guys are going to have in it is some sort of possibly um, lactose or uh, to add some little bit of that creamy character to it. So you're going to end up hopefully looking for a coffee-like, uh, but a lightly coffee or a sweetened kind of coffee note. And the aroma, you can almost get a little bit of that ice creamy um, character. Ice cream cone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> nice chocolate ice cream with the cone itself, though. Get dark chocolate. more of the chocolate than any like coffee for me. I touch vanilla to it. <coughs> some kind of milk. Mm-hmm. Some kind of mocha or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. mocha. Yeah. But a very sweet where it's really balanced well between the chocolate and the coffee. Light char. to it. If anything, it would be, be something earthy, but... But really, to me, that ice cream cone... <laughs> Any other aromas that people get? Like you say, they kind of give that hint of like the 
should we call them? Yeah, the code itself. Very deep brown. Flavor hits a little more of a, a roasty kind of charred meat-ish note for me than it does more of the ice cream. Um, it just lingers. Yeah. I don't know about a charred meat, but definitely like a dark roast coffee, yeah. Yeah. espresso roast. Espresso. Yeah. yeah. Um, little bird. Um, so I think we talked last week, Darren, about creaminess right, in terms of. So this to me is very creamy, the way it sort of fills and the bubbles release, but there's sort of small bubbles. get some of the little bit of the lactose kind of character in there. Um, it's not overwhelming, um, but it adds some of that viscosity in that body and that creaminess. Um, the bitterness is just enough to for me to offset the sweetness. It's not. I don't know if I'd call it the higher. It's probably just medium for me. Um, There's a lot, of, a lot of bitterness from that roast mm -hmm. yeah. character. Yeah, definitely uh, the astringency is mm -hmm. around the gums for me. Yeah, top of the mouth, rear. Uh, acidity mm -hmm. finishes with a, an acidic note. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the roast grains are going to drive the pH. Uh, There's a hint of a toasted apple ester. Um, now it's a little cooked. That long lasting kind of just roasty note to the finish. It's a little bit of this too. Definitely has a full body. Moderately full. <clears throat> I'm not overly kind of. Uh, it's not imperial stout, no, but yeah, it's certainly no. mm -hmm. bigger body. It's got the character to it. Just a moderate-ish carbonation mm -hmm. to, to kind of keep it going through. Yes. What other kind of? Ranges of expression of this have you seen before? Uh, definitely seen it lean more towards the chocolate, mm -hmm. like a sweet chocolate bar. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen more roasty milk, kind of milked coffee, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think this is uh, just as to style, say, like left hand or 
with Mirzal and Snowplow, who were then those kind of really yeah, kind of like left hand a little better. Yeah, I <coughs> and, and usually more pronounced body mm -hmm. seems really light and more. But when I think about that, the left hand is certainly what I think of in terms of being, you know, what the ideal is in terms of what we can get in America um, that hasn't come across from the UK. Maxim's no longer. Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's still listed as the uh, as one of them, but you know. Um. So in terms of recipe, I'm going to use kind of a nice British kind of. Uh, pale malts, throw in some roasted malts in there, maybe a little bit of chocolate, and then the kind of important thing is to add some lactose, um, since it's unfermentable, it remains kind of in the beer all the way through, boosts the final gravity up a little bit, so the final gravities on these are 1012 to 1024, which is why it's got that extra, um, a little bit of a thick mouthfeel to it. Um, and that's going to, the, the combination of the, the, the roasted malts, the chocolate, and then some of that lactose is what's going to really get that coffee character coming all the way through. Um, okay, next we've got uh, oatmeal. Yep. So we've got uh, kind of the, the, one of the classics, Sam Smith's oatmeal stout. So key ingredient on this, going to be the oatmeal. Um, which should add some more of that extra uh, creamy-ish character. We're adding a bunch of extra dextrins. Dextrins? Uh, dextrins. Uh, yeah, okay. I get like a light brewer's licorice <coughs> note. I was going to go with the smell of skittle skins. Um, <laughs> just the skins? <laughs> yeah, just the skins. Because <clears throat> right, you know when you skin the skittles to um. But no, the, you're right. The the the, lic the black licorice, the, uh, what's the candy? I mean, good and plenty. Good and plenty, thanks. Yeah, good and plenty. Yes. Really, what it falls down to the, the skins. Yeah, the skins are good and plenty. So my turn. It's that faint, uh, sort of papery char. Yeah. Not the best coffee. that is set out a little too long. I don't get a ton of coffee to it. Um, which is why I said told you. So, okay. Hmm. I do see sort of the, the sweet candy shell. Yeah, that's, but, uh, but the good and plenty kind of gets that. Yeah. I don't know what the hell they do to that in this room. <coughs> Opens up to a little bit of a greeny note. 
maybe a hint of an oatmeal cookie. Almost with like raisin. Almost like oatmeal raisin. Yeah. <laughs> It's a slightly overdone, uh, burnt around the edges oatmeal cookie. Sweet tang to work through, but a little creme brulee mm -hmm. crust. Yeah. So, highly coarse, a little roasted malt, but almost like the elemental roasted malt. Well, I mean, just I mean, just like grain, roasted grain itself, and then so not malted. To, yeah. Okay. Roasted barley. Mm -hmm. And not like that. Let's do lend in terms of the mouthfeel, sort of what would be a coarse roast character is is a, is a little ironed out mm -hmm. on the edges, so it sort of flows. It's not, not that bad. Light earthy hops. Just a little bit. If that helps contribute to that sense of candies. Um, the, the Sorry? Can I pick up a little green apple? Mm -hmm. I thought I smelled that to be in yeah, you can breathe it after a little too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that kind of gets a almost roasty-ish apple skin. in your coffee, but it wasn't that much coffee. So you're saying one good and plenty yeah. <laughs> per, uh, per glass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the coffee just, I mean, it's it such is. a weak, yeah. I guess maybe that's the, it's like a, a Folgers brewed to half strength, mm -hmm. something like that. 
And then integrating this. So, once again, Burmese kind of got your pale uh, European base. Add in, I don't know what, up to what percent, up to or 5 to 20% um, of oatmeal or, or uh, basically some malted uh, oats. or And to get that, what blends that overall kind of creaminess to the beer. Um, and you use just enough bittering hops. You're usually going to use something like Goldings um, to kind of carry enough, uh, bounce off the, the sweetness. And then uh, from that with a lightly fruity, um, well, profile, or sorry, not yeast profile. So you should something British. So, that really is more interesting. Uh, no, this is, well, or sorry. Well, the, so this used to be defined as a tropical stout in 2008, the Dragon's Tooth. Okay. Um, I'm not sure, but we don't get any tropical stouts, so I was That's like, true. well, might as well give it a shot and see how it turns out. Uh, so this may or may not be stylistically correct. So, um, once again, like Peter was saying, they had four extra style. They, all, they said that there was a tropical version. They said there was a or more of a kind of classic European version. Um, they finally broke the two apart because uh, it kind of became a pain in the butt to judge because you didn't know which way they were necessarily going to go. Yeah, it's tough to judge a style when it's either or. Yeah. Um, and it was a fairly wide deviation. So the tropical stouts are going to be a, a little fruitier um, than the, the four extra stouts. How do other people perceive the roast in this? To me, that's the char, just char. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not quite burnt rubber, but it's just rubber for me. 
fresh tire. Yeah, have a sip. No, serious. Fresh tire is not really that tonight. This does have kind of a sulfury aspect to it. It's the burnt meat on the grill. Yeah. Some firmly roasted deep, deep Starbucksy coffee. <clears throat> Firm combination of bitterness as well as um, char, or the, sorry, the, I guess, roast-derived um, bitterness. A little less fruity than yeah. in the, on the palate than it is on the aroma. The fruitiness might be there, but the, the roast is so strong and dominant. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess with that acidic uh, finish, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I feel like I get that pot in the finish. But did anybody else get that, or am I just fishing off the wrong dock? <coughs> you know, I mean, I'm not asking you to name a strain here, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> I actually thought that when I was a teenager, my brother's friends were part of body, and it's still fairly well attenuated, but still carries a, a decent amount of body through, gets some warmth. Um, well, the alcohol contributes yeah, to, the, to, gets, the, to yeah. the... Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you definitely can get some more of that astringency around the outside of your palate. It's not offensive, but it's a little bit characteristic, I guess, for, for some of these beers. So I guess when you get some of like the other kind of the typical tropical ones like the 
Dragon Stout or Jamaica Stout. Maybe a little bit more fruitier, but um, still, I guess not too far. Thank you, sir. <coughs> Right up next, we've got uh, four an extra stout. So we've got Guinness for this is the yeah. four next door. Okay. Intensely aroma than the previous two or three. Hint of raisin for me. I get more raisin than I do licorice. Yeah. I can see that if I was presented yeah. with this wine, but not not knowing whether it was a wine or a, or a beer. Got some wine. Yeah, yeah, Fairly hard to see through. Just a couple little highlight garnet highlights. Nice round like brown head. There's dried plums. Dried charred plums. Definitely takes a second seat to the fruit kind of character of it. It's not 
char like the, the previous ones where it kind of punch you in the face. It's a little softer, sweeter, rounder. <coughs> Something finish where the char really comes through. Mm -hmm. You know, you have that astringency, the, the, the acridity. Well, the, the finish for me it's a slightly burnt uh, rubber taste. Yeah. yeah. Eraserish and burnt cola. Yeah, burnt cola. Yeah. Yeah. Chocolate character would take on kind of a Tootsie Pop-ish yeah. note for me. Not quite real chocolate. And mixed with some sort of fruitish. Yeah, so we got that fruity. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a Tootsie Pop with you know where you've got a little mm -hmm. bit of the uh, the the cherry outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You chewed it for a little while. And yeah. Then, yeah. Well, you were counting the licks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 300 to 500. Okay, that's the finish for me, too. Kind of tired dark beers. <laughs> <laughs> People have ways to go still. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, moderate body, um, just a moderate carbonation to kind of get it through. Um, a little stringy, a little creaminess that kind of makes it hang. Um, got a little acidic finish for me as well. And a, kind of a carbonate ish. Maybe a little note. Um, you need carbonate as the salt. The salt, the, yeah, the actual mineral. Um, so once again, pale base malt, some nice roasted malt. Kind of add that color, that character in there. Probably going to use English hops. Little Goldings. Um, all right, sort of on to note. American Porter, 20A. All right. So, switching over to America, so we're going to hopefully see um, a bit more, a little more expressive American Ops. going to be a little, possibly a little bit more citrusy, piney. Um, than Earthy and the other ones. Um, but overall, pretty big, pretty crisp, moving up in character. I'm sorry, what category are we in now? 20A, American Work. Which number is it? Uh, 20A. Page 35. Yeah. No problem. So, American Porter, again, they kind of had Robust Porter before. This is the American split of the, the Robust Porter family. Um, previously with Robust Porter, you had to judge it as could be American Hoppy, could not be American Hoppy, could be a little more bitter, could not be as bitter. 
Okay, is there a robust, robust porter now? I think they just kind of generally take it out. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, well, they have English porter. 13C. Yeah, that's brown porter. Scrust is that like a candy orange or a chocolate orange to me? Um, the uh, yeah, the the orange is not like orange zest. It's more like a mandarin orange, canned mandarin orange. You should market those chocolate covered canned oranges. Cocoa, like um, Jerome said. A little ungrown coffee for me. Hint of a berry. And a little blackberry. It's hard to get off that chocolate covered orange or the chocolate orange. The cocoa lingers for a while. <clears throat> Hint of a lightly, or maybe a moderately burnt <laughs> bread crust. So I, I put the salad, the red at mahogany for me, or dark brown. Um, pretty decent clarity from what I can see. Yeah. Just barely, um, not opaque. Nice tan head, beige head. <coughs> the flavor, it's more bittersweet chocolate, semi-sweet chocolate. Char. The char kind of sticks around a little afterwards. Kind of deep roast. Mm 
bitterness definitely pushes through. Um, works a little bit with that roasty character. It kind of hits this nice little balance of I'm bitter and I'm also burnt. Yeah, there's a little of the chocolate basically in the flavor. Yeah. It's more berry, I think. Sorry? Very slight berry. Mm-hmm. A little berry. A little more baker's y chocolate, if anything. But yeah, the bitterness definitely lingers through the finish. Body, it's not too thick. <coughs> Moderate sporting carbonation. A little bit of astringency. There's much warmth to it, too. No. And a pale ale with chocolate malt. More or less. With a bunch of chocolate milk, yeah. yeah. <coughs> what would you call that level of astringency in the finish? It seems pretty strong to me. It was less to me than the, uh, the previous notes. Or yeah, the especially <coughs> uh, the oatmeal stout, and uh, I felt like that had a real, and the, uh, the foreign extra was a it was a coarse finish that you know sort of was a little bitter. I think that general dryness might be helping it express a little more for you, or it doesn't quite have that sweetness to, to carry or to kind of offset some of that tactile, I guess. I think I can like, get confused bitter and astringent sometimes with overlap. Yeah, well, that's that's the, that's kind of the thing. They they tend to create a similar sensation-ish, I guess, in your palate. Um, <clears throat> so, kind of a, a two-row pale ale malt as a base, throwing in a bit more chocolate malt, um, and then some sort of American hop to, to run it out, both in terms of bittering, as well as trying to get a little bit of flavor in there, um, kind of ale yeast, just whatever it takes to get the job done, basically, so either U.S. or uh, British. These can get fairly strong, up to six and a half percent. Yeah, but it described the style as being open to brewer interpretation, um, with varying levels of malt intensity. So it's one of those styles that you really have to judge uh, some of the artistic merit uh, on the balance and how well everything plays together. All right. So next we've got twenty uh, B American Stout. So, uh, general flavor for the savory, taking a good kind of firm roasty, um, taking a little roastier than the American or the robust porter, or sorry, the uh, American porter, you know, a little more than just well using roasted barley in it, and then boosting up a supporting amount of American hops to to kind of characterize it or get that through. Both is a little bit aggressive overall. Nice creamy head on the pour. Or maybe not yours. Yeah. 
for me, resin, a little tar. Um, there's some deep chocolate behind it. With the pear. <coughs> pear? Pear. Yeah, the chocolate for me is reminiscent of a, a, a good, candy, or good, nice quality chocolate. Just a little Hershey's Dark. Mm -hmm. Extra special. <laughs> More of a Theo. <coughs> and just, yeah, citrus, grapefruit. Wow. But yeah, to me, it's kind of just playing into that chocolate yeah. cherry. Yeah, a little cordial note, but I mean, not too sweet. But it's coming across yeah. much fruitier for me than it is. Uh, Stale coffee and cherry juice. <coughs> Burnt marshmallow, just a little bit. Um, really finishes with a kind of uh, not musty, but she charred graham cracker. Cheap Valentine's Day candy. Yeah. <laughs> same time, including the box. <laughs> yeah, there's like, not, almost like a brothy-ish, um, I don't know how to describe that. Meaty? Me, it's, it's meaty, and it's, it's like, acrid. Yeah, it's like yeah. acrid. There's almost a, that hint of raw steak, but then yeah. it also burnt raw steak, or burnt steak too, not the burnt raw steak. 
Well, you've really done a number on that snake. Yeah. And you put <laughs> a raw edge. You dropped it onto the grill, burned the crap out of it, and then took it off 12 seconds later. Isn't that Chicago style? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> the funk comes out of the aroma as it warms mm-hmm. up. Uh, it's just that's part of the kind of that musty issue about earthy grainy. But well, it's got that sweet component to it. Mm-hmm. But sweet partially, candy. yes, that's exactly what decaying, yeah. partially rotting squirrel. Just like mom used to make it. <laughs> Moderately full body. It's a little creamy for um, It's got stringency around the, the cheeks and the gums. Um, moderate, not really high carbonation. That linger, lingering ache. Yeah. Are we blending? No, there are oh. two different, an American style and a British style. Okay. Um, so, same, well, once again, similar story as the previous one in terms of the recipe. Uh, pale base malt, then uh, adding a whole bunch of roasted malt. Uh, probably a little chocolate malt in there as well. And using some sort of American hop for bittering um, and flavor. Um, I kind of need that word. That's what I call it. Do you turn side by side? Or yeah. Um, all right, to wrap up tonight, we've got some Imperial Stouts. What do we have? We got Sam Smith. Uh-huh. And. Uh, so, um, British take and American take. And the, there's no Russian Imperial Stout anymore, is there? Yeah, so this is just, they took the Russian Imperial Stout. The style kind of has evolved to non-Russian-ish. Which is Sam Smith's. All right, so... If you forget, Sam Smith is the one with the lighter head. All right, but we should be looking for taking all those kind of roasty and interesting characters and then, depending on what hop expression you want to do, pushing those to an imperial strength, working into the low tens, I guess. Um, or whatever. Side by side? Chug. One left hand is right hand. Am I mouth? Yeah. <laughs> One quarter of each time. <laughs> so Sam Smith. Yeah, that, is, that is the light part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Super. So yeah, fruity, soy sauce. Um. Oxidized wine. 
oxidized wine is actually a great, um, great way to look at it. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, I mean, it, it has that Venus oxidized alcohol-ish notes. Um, like, and then the that sweet, yeah, that that I've left this glass of wine out for four or five days, kind of, yeah. Because you lost the glass. <laughs> A little bit, well. Is it fishy also? Yeah, yeah it's, it's that soy sauce that works into that sushi-ish note, I guess. Um, Maybe that Worcestershire, yeah. or just that slight. Yeah, <laughs> like you're working on making your own homemade Worcestershire. And, yeah. It's not quite like Thai fish sauce. No. Now if you compare that with the uh, the Yeti. This depends on uh, soy sauce and the Yeti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much more focused on the roast the chocolate. Yeah. Um, with the caramel. <laughs> Little moderately like coffee grounds. Yeah, you're expecting this one to be huge roast bomb versus the uh, the, the Sam Smith, which is just <laughs> got an oddness to it. Yeah. Roasted grapefruit note in the American. So I think people do that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Basically, no light passes through it. The, the Sam Smiths, you get sort of a, a hint, uh, red ellipse. Yep. Um, Not black. Just pushing that for browns and brown. You have the light to dark, sorry, the, the beige to brown color difference on the, the heads between the two. You might see lacing on these. And, or Legs, sorry. Well, Sam Smith's which kind of looks kind of reddish. Yeah. Sam Smith's getting a little more like a dark. Sticking your head in a box of raisins. Sam Smith's fruitiness is much more evident than just a, a low roasty ashiness uh, underneath the you know um, dried fruits. Back to that raisin kind of component. Bruzy, 
boozy fruitcake. Yeah, and the alcohol is definitely coming through, almost like it was added in. Um, like someone dropped a shot of fortified. Yeah. Sorry. sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. That was creative. Oh. Um, yeah. It's almost like an Everclearish. Fruity, but it still doesn't—it doesn't remind me much of a stout. You know that roast character is so far underneath. Yeah. You know, it's more like an aged, like a Christmas ale yeah. or a, yeah. something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when you switch to the yep. Yeti, it's a decided switch. <laughs> yeah. Soy sauce. Soy sauce, um, which is nice on the charred meat note, too. Kind of provides that little note. That deeply, deeply burnt marshmallow shell. Lingering char notes to it. The alcohol's in there, but it's just nowhere near as boozy-ish tasting than the, uh, compared to the Samsung. Yeah, the boozy in sort of a different <coughs> way. Yeah, it's not the, once again, the, the shot that you threw in here. Yeah. <laughs> this feels much like rocket fuel. Like, just, <laughs> man, this stuff can, uh, can burn. And there are still some of that, that grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, grilled grapefruit. The grilled grapefruit, yeah. The Christmas feel right there. That's your tradition we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your body's really just sort of medium. Medium, maybe medium high carbonation. Yeah. I mean, it's got sweetness, but. Well, I guess it kind of takes you right for a little while afterwards. A bit of a licorice aftertaste. Mm-hmm. 
it's strange how much more pronounced it is the alcoholism, the Sam Smith, because I just looked and it's like it's a couple points lower. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> oh, what's it? Yeah. You didn't put it in the shop. No. Oh. No. <laughs> no, there was no shop. No, don't worry. Oh. styles, no, no matter what you pick in terms of the expression of it, it's actually having a little depth to it, not pick, picking just one character and going completely monodimensional. Burnt as hell. Soy sauce as hell. Um, yeah, you really have to... A lot of home-brewed examples, and even commercial-brewed, like yeah. the the imperial portion is really that, that roasted malt. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we got, you know, we're going to... Three bags in this uh, seven-barrel batch, mm-hmm. um, you know. So that's all you're getting—that one flavor. But you, you want sort of a nuanced range of, you know, burnt chocolate, coffee, uh, mm-hmm. some caramel underneath. Yeah. Um, you know, for an American style, you really want to have some presence of, of American type hops. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and one of the previous exams I administered, I grabbed like three or four. Just kind of mid-range um, homebrew kind of examples from a competition left over. Blended them all together and served that, and it was delicious um, because it spanned the full spectrum of everything. Like, oh crap! I did not mean for this to be that good, um, and it just you you got a little more depth to it. So basically, brewed like five or six of these and blend them all together afterwards. Um, but and how does this blend come out? Still not as good, but. It doesn't kill the fruitiness quite enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, having some having a little breath to the style is is fairly important to to landing a good kind of score on on some of these. Um, but once again, copious amounts of malt um, to to boost the alcohol up uh, and a firm bittering to usually carry that most of the way through. Um, it, it just takes it to be able to balance off the sweetness. And the sweetness derived from the alcohol in there as well. Um, uh, so yeah, gravity is up upwards of over a hundred or eleven hundred, basically. And uh, finishing gravity is up to ten thirty. Um, so big, thick kind of beers. <coughs> this one didn't have quite the body that some of them can, but it can just be syrup-like uh, in their in their thickness. But uh, but I actually preferred that. It makes it drinkable, and mm-hmm. you know, it's not. Laying there, uh, doing the thing where it lays. Yeah. All right. So um, next week um, will be flavor country. So I, I don't know how many beers you actually bring your tongues. Yeah. Sour time. So this. So if you come to one session and try to get your money back, um, this is the session to come to. Um, so we'll be co- covering. A lot. I mean, I don't know how many beers we're picking from each of these different categories. It, most of these are all about the different balances that you get. Um, but we're covering sours, we're covering um, fruit, spice, specialties, the smoked, gluten-free, um, all kind of weird beers that are all about finding a balance between some sort of a classic style, maybe, or a new style of its own, 
and whatever we're going to throw into it to, to make it into a slightly different beer. Um, so I think next week is also the week that we're going to do the um, the online exam example in the back. So we'll try to have a computer going in the back with the, the online exam so you guys can go back there one or three or so at a time, practice taking some of the questions, get an idea of what it looks like, what the overall kind of structure is so that when you guys go to take the online exam, it's not a complete um, freak experience of the wood. Um, so we'll cover some more true and false questions. We'll go through another kind of basic technical topics. We've got some um, interesting kind of off flavors that we want to talk about as well, which are what kind of like we got sours going on. We're going to talk about some of the sour, acidic notes. Some of those beers dry out very, very light. So we'll cover some of those flavors as we go through the tastings as well. Um, so once again, keep trying to do some practice uh, uh, score sheets, hand them in, um, and we'll, we'll still take a look through them. Um, any other questions or thoughts or concerns or anything? Okay, we'll get you guys out of here. Oh, on time-ish for James. Because we got to jump on the plane in the morning and go out to JBL. You guys are leaving tomorrow? You guys are leaving tomorrow? Well, we got to judge. Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving the plane today. So you guys are going to be... I'm sure you will find a stuff around someplace. Yeah.